Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a ghosting mother-in-law talking about personal issues at work, funeral flowers with a return shipping request, and Google searching during a conversation. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about asking for personal items after a funeral. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on personal conversations with coworkers. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. We missed our anniversary. We kind of did. I can't believe it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oopsies. Um, yeah, it's been five years that we've been doing this podcast. Episode 260. Episode 260. And technically, this is airing like a couple weeks after our five-year anniversary. Like two episodes ago was our five-year anniversary. <laughs> When it's been five years, you you get a little latitude, right? I know. I didn't even look up what the five-year anniversary, like, gift thing is. You know, like, it's not paper. I know that. I don't think it's leather or faux leather. Um, Wood? Wood. It might be wood. It might be wood. Might be wood. I think we have that on an earlier episode in a postscript segment. (laughs) You had a nice note here, though. You said that, that it reminds you of the early days and the dreams for this podcast. Talk to me about that. Well, we've received a number of questions recently where the introduction of the question, someone references how they experience awesome etiquette. Maybe it's the impact that it's had on them, or maybe it's a new listener who says, I've been listening through the back catalog, and I started at episode one, and I've got 60 to go or something. And I was trying to picture for myself what it would be like to watch this show develop over five years in a couple month time frame or window. Oh my gosh, you're right. I didn't think about that before. <laughs> the show's changed a lot. You've changed a lot. I've changed a lot. It's been five years and a lot can happen in five years. I feel like we've grown up together in some ways. And in that process of change, there are certain things that I also found myself saying I really liked about the early show, the early awesome etiquette. Sure. And I like reflecting on those early episodes where we thought a lot about what we wanted the show to do, how we wanted it to grow and develop over time. And now having gone through all that, I don't think about it quite as much. I sort of maybe take it for granted a little, and I don't want to do that. I want to remember those intentions that really put us on this path where we find ourselves now. Absolutely. I'm I'm interested in how we – I remember what it was like getting used to people getting used to the two of us. 
and our different personalities and kind of the characterizations that would get reflected back at us about us. And that was always interested. And, you know, you can't talk about the early days without being reminded of Hans, Hans Butow, our first producer for the show. And he was amazing and so much fun to work with. And he really helped teach the two of us about podcasting. Mm -hmm. I can always remember the comment of, oh, it it sounded a little like you were laughing when you read that question. Try not to. Or, you know, the, the slight kind of tonal changes that he helped us adjust to from just what is natural conversation between the two of us that we might not pick up on because we're so used to each other. It was really a great education that he provided for us. Boy, was it. And he was there from the very first phone call meetings where we were saying, what might a etiquette podcast from the Emily Post Institute look like? And we brainstormed different possibilities, sections of the show. And then the the massaging of those early episodes as we found the structure, the Q&A format, the feedback, the postscript, the things that I take for granted now, the etiquette salute. I can even remember a sheet of paper in my notebook with all of the possible names for this show, the the etiquette weekly, the, you know, like um, etiquette to save the world or like all different things that came from it. And for me, the early days and especially the first three years, and I don't mean to get teary eyed with this because I just miss him so much. But when Benny was in studio with us and i just i miss those days so much he was a feature here in the studio he used to come and sort of curl up at our feet (laughs) yeah and you could hear the jangle of his collar and had to keep the collar bell quiet i remember when we when uh this studio was under construction and we had to go over to across the street in the whisper booths and we were in these tiny little booths that it was baking hot or freezing cold but it was you were getting to know a different crew of people and benny then sat outside with chris during that time and it was not outside outside but outside the the studio the the booth and it was it was just funny you know and now here we are in year five and still loving the show every single week dan and i love producing this one of the biggest goals was to really open up the tone of what emily post etiquette was so that you could hear that it's not about high-end living all the time, that it's not about elitism or secret societies, that it's really about everyday life and making decisions for ourselves because our lives are so different and our situations are so different. And that's so important to us. And we wanted it to be a conversation. And the feedback segment really opened up that conversation. And the audience participation, we've always said there's no show without you. And we really mean that. couldn't be more true. The wildest hopes and dreams of those early brainstorming sessions was that we could take a version of what we did every day at Emily Post and do it in a public forum, do it with a larger audience. And our listeners, all of you, really seized that opportunity. You drive this show with your questions and your comments and your feedback and your salutes and all of the little ways that you reach out and interact with us. We had a couple on their honeymoon show up at our office the other week and it was <laughs> yes. so much fun there was this sort of tentative knock at the door i'm i'm, I'm a, a listener to the show i'm a podcast stalker can i come in and say <laughs> hi and absolutely you can it was it was a really nice encounter but there are so many things like that that have come out of this show that i treasure that have been really special experiences and we owe all of you a big thanks for taking that mantle of consideration, respect, and honesty for 
participating in a conversation about etiquette that is about caring for people and taking care of the relationships that support all of us and are so important in all of our lives. We are so incredibly grateful to you that we have hit this five-year mark, and we hope that we are going to be around for five more. And to make that happen, let's get to some questions. Let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And Sustaining Members, put Sustaining Members somewhere in your message. We'll answer your question on the Sustaining Members site, where you can also access an ads-free version of the show. Our first question is titled, My Mother-in-Law is Ghosting Us? Dear Dan and Lizzie, Like so many of your listeners, I so appreciate your podcast. It is wonderful to see the world through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Here is one area of my life where I'm not sure how to proceed. My mother-in-law, in the best of times, wasn't the easiest woman to get along with. She likes to put a pessimistic comment on any optimistic one and seems to like to argue just for the sake of it. However, she is my partner's mother, and for that, I am grateful. We had our son a year and a half ago, and after some time we moved to yet another city to be closer to our parents. It is only a two-hour train ride or drive, so we were hoping that the grandparents would be a bigger force in our son's life. We offered to pay for train tickets and everything. Yet his mother is contacting us less and less the older our son gets. She came for his first birthday, but she left that same day. She stopped calling us entirely and answers our text messages with one-word answers. If this was a relationship, I would be convinced she wants to break up. She won't say anything about why she is not staying in touch, and when asked if there was anything standing in her way, she just repeats, I don't know. We are exhausted enough as new parents to have to chase after her, which is truly what we have to do to get in touch with her at all. The one thing I can think of is we haven't come over to her house since our son has been born. We have explained why, politely, because she is a heavy smoker and we don't think it's safe. She laughs that she was pregnant and smoking and my partner turned out fine. We say that we are happy to take her with us to restaurants or parks when we are in town, which she sometimes does. Still, there is an edge. Is there something I am missing here that I or my partner could do or say? Or, if someone is shutting down, is the polite thing to do to let them be? Flummoxed. Flummox, this is really tough, but you kind of have to do the best you can do. I mean, in in some ways it is like that that partner who's not responding and and showing those signs of not wanting of wanting to break up but, you know, can't actually do it. Only here, your relatives, you don't really get to break up. 
you have to set your own boundaries as parents. And you two as a pair have decided that the home that she occupies and the amount of cigarette smoke and secondhand smoke that's in it isn't comfortable for, for the baby. And so you've decided that you're not going to go there. By drawing that line, I feel like there's very few ways for a parent who doesn't think it's a problem, the grandmother in this sense, to not feel offended. I I understand why she feels offended, especially because of her perspective on the situation. Well, my kid turned out fine. What are you so worried about? You know, there are tons of public places where people smoke. This happens. But you also have to play that role of parent and do what's best for your child as you see fit. And I think you've exercised... The things we would suggest, suggest going to a restaurant, inviting her up to your place, reaching out via phone and text to stay in touch. And you are still kind of getting met with the stark, cold, you know, responses. There's not much you can do beyond that other than to play the long game, as my cousin often talks about, and really wait it out and keep trying, keep inviting, keep showing that you want her in your in your life and in your child's life. And kind of just put up with the behavior you're getting in return. Every now and again, you might choose to address it. But if she's not willing to go there with you, that's not much that you can work with. I love that long game thinking because it can take some of the pressure off any particular action along the way. You say to yourself, I'm going to keep at this and it doesn't need to overwhelm me. It doesn't need to be something I or we accomplish or achieve in the next week, month or even year. You identified, I think, correctly a certain courtesy of respecting people's privacy, giving them their space. And oftentimes in a breakup, there is a time where you allow that to happen. You say this is what a breakup is and that's why it's painful. There's a separation that's going on here. As Lizzie pointed out with your mother-in-law, that separation isn't a possibility. That's not the end result that anybody's looking for. So you both want to honor that instinct to let them make their choices and have the space and the privacy that they need, but also to stay engaged. And that is tricky. My other tip for doing that is to take advantage of etiquette, take advantage of some of the little formalities that provide structure for relationships. So send those holiday cards, send those birthday cards, send those anniversary congratulations, show up at the big family gatherings, be sure that the family gatherings where there's maybe a little more momentum for everybody to get together are happening and do what you can to contribute and be sure those things continue to happen. Sometimes those structures provide a framework for relationships to get rebuilt just a little bit. There is another thing I'm thinking about here, which has to do with the decision to never visit grandma's house, your mother-in-law's house. And I'm wondering if there's a way to honor your commitment to the safety of your child, the idea that you don't want to expose him to secondhand smoke or something that's potentially really dangerous for him with getting past some discomfort or some ickiness around a house that maybe smells like secondhand smoke. Maybe if there isn't smoking going on in the presence of your child or Even if you're able to have that lunch on the porch instead of the dinner in the dining room, if there's a way that you could cross that threshold to kind of push a metaphor a little bit in a way that would start to make your mother-in-law feel better about the way that she lives and some of the choices she's made, maybe feel less judged 
but also honor and respect your boundaries as a parent that are very firm around protecting the safety of your child. It's true. I mean, there will be environments where because cigarette smoke is allowed, where your child will cross that, you know, whether it's walking down the street or for me, the one that gets Mila, I'm I'm not a fan of tobacco smoke. And when I'm driving behind someone who's smoking in front of me, I'm getting all of that secondhand smoke. And it really does make me feel uncomfortable. But it does kind of happen in life. And you might chalk it up to once a year visiting grandma's house and having it happen. A once a year visit to grandma's house is very common for a lot of people, like where it's not every month that you're going to visit or, you know, every couple of months even that you're going to visit. I mean, I only went to my grandmother's house once a year for many, many years. She didn't smoke in the house, but it could be a consideration that you take that with a limited visit with some of the suggestions Dan's made an agreement not to smoke around around the child that you could chalk it up to you know we live in a world where this is legal and people do it and it happens and it will happen in these other situations too when you go to the park and someone is smoking nearby or in the car when you're behind someone who's smoking those kinds of moments it might be that way as dan said to be able to cross that threshold while still protecting some of the things that you want to protect but it it might warm grandma up just a little bit but i would also say that you also may experience which is something that i just learned about one of my elder relatives sort of the the changes in thought pattern or the change in emotional status i didn't know that this person had been experiencing anxiety as they were aging And it was a really interesting conversation for me because the person isn't someone that I think of as being an anxious person. And it might be that mom is going through, you know, just a time where she's adjusting to changes in her own life. And it might have less to do with you in these visits than you realize. So checking in with mom slash grandmother about, you know, how they're doing, you know, how are you? How are things going in your life as opposed to only making it about the visits? And we don't know whether you've only been making it about the visits or not. So that's an assumption on our part. But I think that's worth exploring, too, and just trying to connect with mom and make sure mom slash grandma feels like she's a person and, and a role as a person other than a mother and a grandmother. Flummoxed. We hope that this helps you feel just a little bit less flummoxed and that there is some more ease in this relationship moving forward. But on another potential source of trouble, in-laws, when we first planned to move into that two-family house, I thought of all those mother-in-law jokes. Still, they couldn't apply to nice people like us. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our next question is titled, To Talk or Not to Talk. Dear Lizzie and Dan, after a long infertility journey, I am finally pregnant with my first child, a baby girl due in February. I work at a small, close-knit workplace where many co-workers were aware of my struggle, and everyone seemed delighted for me when I announced my pregnancy at work three weeks ago. 
Several days ago, my immediate supervisor approached me and let me know that my pregnancy talk at work was hurtful to some coworkers having their own fertility struggles. I had no idea this was happening or that anyone else was going through that and was immediately sad and mortified. I'd really like to be sensitive about this topic because it was painful to me to hear this talk from other coworkers during my own journey. Of course, I'll be more sensitive with my speech in the future. But there are a couple of factors making it difficult. The first is that I'm having a difficult pregnancy, and I'm often quite ill. My symptoms are very difficult to hide at work, and people often ask me if I'm all right, what's wrong, and if I need anything. Secondly, my workplace contains a group of wonderful older women with multiple children and grandchildren who delight in exclaiming over my growing bump and my glow and asking about preparations for the baby several times a week. I enjoy these talks and would love to be able to continue them if possible. If I knew which coworkers were struggling with infertility, I might be able to avoid having these conversations in their presence, but I don't, and of course I respect their privacy. How do I handle this both sensitively and professionally? Thanks, Pregnant at Work. Pregnant at Work, thank you for this question. This is such a personal topic and such a personal issue, and that's precisely why it's raising so much, both for you and your coworkers. We're going to talk a little bit in the postscript of this show about conversations outside work, but how they impact professional lives and relationships. And a big part of managing any conversation successfully, whether it's happening at work or whether it's happening off-site, is having a sense in your own mind about the different kinds of topics that people can even talk about and having some, some categories or some ways to sort and identify which topic areas you're operating in can be really helpful for making choices about how you're going to talk about these things. Because ultimately, conversations and improvisation, you can't plan everything. You can't know exactly what's going to happen ahead of time. You're going to be moving and adjusting and making choices at a subconscious level in the moment. So building some structures early on can be really helpful. In this case, we're talking about health and family. So the most personal, most intimate things that you can talk about. When you're with that group that love to talk about these things, that have given you every indication how much they like talking about them by the way they bring it up, how often they bring it up, their whole approach to the conversation, you're in safe territory. And when you're with those people, I say have those conversations and learn from those people and enjoy and benefit from all of that connection that happens. Can I make a caveat to that, though? Please. I think that you you do want to engage those conversations with the folks that are clearly bringing it up with you because they're okay with it. But I think you want to be aware of who else might be around Absolutely. when that conversation is happening. So if it's at the lunch table and there's a whole group of people and someone asks you something about your pregnancy, you might kind of Answer the question quickly, but then change the topic, right? So redirect rather than correct. And that way, the whole lunch table doesn't become a conversation all about your pregnancy or the plans for the nursery or something while there's two or three other workers sitting there who might be going through issues. But this brings me to another place because I just said who might be going through issues. We don't know what's going on or who it's going on with. And that makes it really hard. This particular question gets at something that I think is a, a really interesting place of sensitivity and consideration 
around unknowns. A lot of times we hear that when people are struggling with something, it's very hard for them to see other people experiencing the things that they want to have going on in their life or would like to be having happen positively in their life. But we can't always change the entire world around us just because of what we are experiencing. And if we're unwilling to let people know what we're experiencing because of privacy, which is completely to be respected, it's really hard then to ask everyone to stop having conversations about pregnancy, which, let's face it, is something that as the belly grows, it's just a noticeable thing. I mean, at some point on a daily level, these people are just going to be seeing you pregnant at work all the time. And that is tough. And you want to be sensitive to it. But you also get to experience your pregnancy. You don't need to be completely shut out from talking about it or acknowledging the fact that it's going on. And I want to just take a minute and recognize that balance that everyone is dealing with, whether it's, you know, someone who is single and would really like to be partnered up and is seeing that happen all around them, whether it's someone who's hearing about visits to a, a grandparent while their parent is very ill and, and dying. You know, there's professional all... advancement. Yes. Of dream vacation. Yes. There are all kinds of things that are good in life that have the potential to make someone else feel jealous or think about the things that they wish they had. And Absolutely. you can't always manage that in every way, but it is worth thinking about those things because it can have such an impact on other people. When this goes well, it's the person who's feeling lack in life understanding and looking towards those who are experiencing what they want to have happen in their own life as a, a positive indication that it's possible. And in the other direction, it's the person who who has wonderful things going on and knows that others might be struggling in this territory, you know, being sensitive and being aware and not overindulging in the conversation and also being encouraging if they happen to know that that lack is there, that you never know when when the next time is the time it's going to work. I'm really rooting for you. Those kinds of things. Jessica, one of our listeners, gave us really great language for talking with folks who are dealing with infertility in one of our postscripts. And that would be good language to lean on. It's important that when that balance is happening in a good way, that it's recognized, you know, that it's like, hey, this is how it can be done well. But when it's not happening and you're getting feedback like the feedback from your supervisor to be taking some of the steps that Dan suggested earlier and to just simply be aware that it's it's not about completely not talking or shutting down the conversation, but it's just simply having that sensitive awareness. It's a question of dosage. So you dial back the intensity and the volume. So that's the amount of time that you spend on these topics and how intense or how deep you get when they do come up in those professional circumstances where you're not as sure about who the audience is. I wouldn't feel too bad about what's happened in the past. I want to applaud the supervisor for bringing this to you and for the coworker for being comfortable going and talking to a supervisor and saying, you know, this is, this is making me feel uncomfortable in the workplace because those are also valid things for people to be doing. And that's how we reach that compromise and accord in shared spaces like workplaces and professional environments. Because technically this isn't a topic that's directly related to work, I would say to myself, I'm glad to get the information that it's not landing well with everyone. However, it got to me that 
a coworker was feeling strongly enough about this that they talked to a supervisor who wanted to acknowledge that conversation with me. It's a bit of a game of telephone, so I'm not going to try to unpack it too <laughs> right. much and try right. to think about what this person or from that person or from that person. But I am going to say it's good to know. And that's going to help me make some of those in the moment choices as I'm navigating this topic, which I might be really comfortable with, but other people might be less comfortable with. It also helps to bring the focus back to work a bit more, which when you're on the job, that is a good thing to be doing. <laughs> we hope that you feel better moving forward, both about having these discussions and how they've happened in the past, but also with your pregnancy. We wish you the best. Here's how it applies to an offer. First, of course, know your job. Enjoy it, but also enjoy the people that you're working with. Be considerate of them and be considerate of your employer. Remember those simple rules of office etiquette and you'll get along in the business world. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This next question is definitely an interesting one and one I haven't heard before. It's titled Funeral Flowers with a Return Policy. Is it proper etiquette for someone to send flowers or plants to a funeral home for the deceased and later, after the funeral, request that they be returned to the person sending them? I had never heard of this being done, so I'm curious. Thank you. I think we can make really short work of this one, I think this is a quick one. This one is, no, it's not that typical. I don't think I've ever heard of it being done. Sometimes flowers are, after a service, donated to a local hospital or care facility, but I have never heard of them being returned to the giver. I'm I'm trying to imagine, like, maybe if someone was a part of a garden club and there was a prized orchid that someone just wanted present there because the deceased loved it, but, like, we're going real, real, real deep on that to get to a place where that's, you know, um, a standard or something that would be considered understandable. So I I think this is quite a different request and um, very, very unusual. Lizzie, a little like you, I was saying to myself, well, you know, sometimes people build almost altars where they bring things that were significant to someone. And I could see those being returned to people, but definitely the flowers that are sent I would not call this typical. So the question is, do you acquiesce to the request? I'm guessing that the funeral home here, the funeral parlor, didn't have a lot of choice. That if if someone figured out the mechanics for this to happen, that you would let it happen? Like, sure, come pick it up on Friday or something. But in terms of advice, I would say go with your gut. And if you feel like this is no big deal to return the planter flower arrangement to this person, go for it. And if it feels incredibly offensive or awkward, I I might even say just I, I don't want to say ignore the request, but I'm kind of leaning in the direction of ignore the request. I think that practicality rules here. So if it's possible and you can do it, do it. If not, I wouldn't worry too much about it either. We're going to find out many things about sharing with others. Do you know what we mean by sharing? Do you know what kinds of things we share? Do you know why we share and how we share? Let's find out. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our final question today is titled, A Quick Question, Google Searching at Dinner? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This is a quick one. At a meal recently, two people were attempting to mentally convert my baby's birth weight into kilograms for a European visitor, and they couldn't agree on an answer. I wanted to whip out my phone and look it up, but it seemed rude to do so. The answer was right at my fingertips, and I never got to finish my story. The conversation naturally moved on to other stories about miles to kilometers conversions while traveling. Is it rude to settle a very lighthearted disagreement over dinner by simply looking up the answer? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks so much. Time, place, and company dictate this one. I think that this, so- this sounds to me like a casual dinner out. This doesn't sound like we're at a, a gap. I don't know. Even in formal settings these days, our phones are so a part of things. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I was dining with the queen. Like, that'll ever happen. But I would, you know, I think that I would ask the table first, guys, we could solve this really quickly. Do you want me to Google it? And then at least you get people's buy-in and permission to answer the question this way rather than taking the phone out and then having someone look at you like, hey, what are you doing? This is such a contemporary conversation question because I could see this coming up in so many situations. That phone is so incredibly powerful. And I just want to suggest that it can feel like the answer is right there all the time, but there is a real value to keeping your attention there and present with the people that you're with, that the seduction of that phone, the temptation, all of the the knowledge and information and answers that it can provide are a reality, but it's also true that there is a richness to human interaction that happens in a way that isn't interrupted, that there is also a lot to be gained from. And who knows, maybe that mental stretch that happens in your mind as you try to remember the movie that that actor was in, but you it's just right there on the tip of your memory and just that, that extra second of work <laughs> totally exercises your brain or the process of letting it go and then it comes to you just a couple minutes later as an aha is so delightful. And you just don't know when you're going to have those moments or experience them unless you can really open up the space for that to happen. And these devices are so often in our hands that whenever I can, I like to advocate for creating that space yes. and opening it up <laughs> without saying, no, it's inappropriate to right. take out your phone and get an answer. Because I tell you, the most common thing I ask Alexa in the kitchen is, could you tell me how many teaspoons are in an ounce or liters in a gallon? Those those conversions are so nice to know. And the answers are right there. So those are our thoughts. No, it's not rude, but checking with the table first is always a good idea. Well, what about it? What might be some good uses for your leisure time? Will you let time slip away from you or will you use it well? Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. 
Remember to use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from A in regards to episode 253, Cis Person Doing Their Best. And I really want to thank A before I read this because A's comments actually got to a section of this question that we didn't. And I think it does have to do with protecting privacy. So I'm really grateful for this comment. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have some additional feedback about your response to cis person doing their best in episode 253. As a member of the queer community, I so appreciate your spirit of support, caution against referencing a former name or identity, and suggestion that one of the best things you can do when you're in a position of privilege is to listen. True powerful words indeed. I think it is important to go a step beyond advising that in this situation we take direction from the trans person themselves and explicitly call out that it is not acceptable for anyone to out a member of the LGBTQ plus community for any reason without their permission. Not only is it a violation of their privacy, who knows who they have told or intend to tell, but it is dangerous LGBTQ plus people face violence and discrimination every day, and no one else gets to decide to put them at risk. Not because they live in a queer-friendly area. Not because they're positive none of their friends know this person. Any communication hinting at someone's transition should be done in private until it is clear to whom they are comfortable disclosing this information. Even asking the most well-intentioned questions about how to be supportive of your possibly gay child or the coworker who just came out to you as non-binary in a public space or a forum like Facebook group, for instance, could compromise their safety if not completely anonymous. Instead, I recommend taking advantage of resources and support networks created by the LGBTQ plus affirming groups like Gender Spectrum, PFLAG, MyKidIsGay.com, and The Safe Zone Project. Thanks so much for all that you do to make this a kinder, more thoughtful world. Best A. A, thank you so much for this. When we had answered the question, we talked about things like simply going with whatever the person who has transitioned introduces themselves to you as. We had suggestions from another listener about making comments like the dress you're wearing is lovely. Just simply accepting the person as they are standing in front of you. And I think that you making sure that you are not the person trying to invite any acknowledgement that a change for this person has occurred is really important. I did not think about it as a safety issue at first. So I really appreciate hearing this. You know, congratulations on your transition is not a safe thing to say for someone. You don't know who else is listening. You don't know if you post a comment like that to someone's Facebook page, who else might be watching that and how that might out a person. And I really appreciate Appreciate the resources that you've listed so that we can get more information about how to make sure that we are representing spaces as safe spaces and encouraging people to understand what safe space means. Hey, thanks for broadening this discussion. We really appreciate it.
Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about something business-related. Lizzie Post was wondering about how social events outside of work, particularly with coworkers, can lead to conversations that might get more personal and whether or not there is some good etiquette advice for how you manage or have those conversations. Absolutely. I was thinking about some of the feedback that you've gotten during your business etiquette seminars, where sometimes you present to people that this third tier of you know family life or medical life or financial life is really that third tier conversation that you really want to be careful having that conversation. And we've had people pop up in our seminars and say things like, yeah, I really don't appreciate being asked about my family or about my relationship status when it comes to talking with business coworkers or clients or prospects, things like that. But at the same time, we're encouraged to bond with our team at work. We're encouraged to get to know each other. I mean, people do whole entire retreats about, you know, trusting one another and opening up and getting to know people. We've heard that people don't like the cold aspect of work when it seems like work is only work and nobody values you as a whole person. So how do we be this whole person, but not step too far into the world of the personal? And I thought that would be a great thing for my cousin who talks about this on a very regular basis and his wonderful webinars and seminars to shed some light on for us. It's such a challenge, and it's a delightful challenge in many ways. For all of the reasons that you state, there is something really rich and rewarding about getting to know people better and to sharing personal and intimate details about our own lives is one of the things that makes us feel whole and heard and acknowledged to have the totality of ourselves connected with the people around us that are important to us. And oftentimes those people are colleagues and coworkers. It is a balance. It's a tricky balance. And you mentioned that tier three of a conversation, those most personal topics, your family life, your financial life, your health. A lot of people have in their mind the very traditional etiquette category of religion, politics, dating, or your love life as Another set of topics that you should approach with care. In fact, the prescription used to be you didn't talk about these things in polite company. And you were really intended or meant to stick to tier one topics, shared experience, the meal that we're having together, the traffic getting here, the weather today, yawn. But also it could be (laughs) the opera or fly fishing or particle physics. Uh, hobbies, interests, things that are 
interesting to you and might be interesting to someone else, but they didn't necessarily know about. But when does when do like hobbies and interests start to get like too personal? You know, when they have to do with religion, politics, your Sex love life, or, or your family, <laughs> your finances, or your health. Good answer, cousin. Good answer. <laughs> and this is a place where etiquette has changed. Yeah, the rule used to be you didn't talk about these things in polite company in crowds where you didn't know everybody and we don't say that anymore we don't say that you're not allowed to talk about these things or it's completely inappropriate to talk about these things in fact the task that we have in front of us today is that more challenging task of trying to figure out all the time how much i can talk about these things to what degree and I draw a parallel in my own mind to the choices that people make in a business casual workplace when they're deciding what to wear in the morning. I don't just get to put on that suit and stick to it and know it's the right choice every day any longer. I have to decide whether khaki shorts count as khakis or whether flip-flops are going too far or whether a polo shirt really is too much golf and not enough button-down collar. I love that the other day Dan came into the podcast and I had I had I gave him a little bit of feedback on his outfit and he said, "I thought you were going to talk about my frayed collar or something." And I was like, "Really? Me, me who like wears cut-off shorts into work is going to talk about your frayed collar? No, cuz no judgment." <laughs> working at a family business. Yeah. What are you going to wear? Okay, I'm used to seeing you at your parents' pool or yeah. <laughs> at the holiday party that we grew up going to. What does it look like when we come to the office? I think that, that same kind of decision-making is going on in the moment when we're having those conversations, particularly off-site, where oftentimes we're trying to build those more personal connections with people that we work with. So I would imagine that it would be really great in our kind of toolbox of confident conversation stoppers to have some sample language in our heads for and to practice saying it so that it comes across politely and not not desperate or, you know, flustered or, or annoyed for when someone does ask something that's too personal, how to either sidestep and redirect the conversation towards something else. And I'm imagining things like parents who do talk about their kids a lot, but maybe aren't going to talk about a medical condition that their child has or people who talk about their relationship a lot, but aren't going to talk about the problems in it and just those light ways of of dodging a little bit, but still being polite and still entertaining conversation to the degree that you're comfortable entertaining it with. And you might even say something like, oh, you know, we we keep our kids, you know, medical things private. So we don't discuss things like possible dyslexia or, you know, a possible autoimmune disease with anybody. But we do love talking about playdates and, you know, the activities the kids are up to. I think you already started to map some of the answer to your own question right there. You can just acknowledge, oh, that's a little private for this situation, or we just don't talk about that. But then you immediately go to that other topic that you are comfortable talking about. And then you're starting to define where your comfort levels are. And then you start to read the other person for cues. If they say, oh, my kid loves playdates, my nephew loves playdates, I love babysitting and taking advantage of the children's playroom where they can all play together, then the conversation continues. If you're not getting those sort of cues or signs from someone else, that's when you let it go and you look for that fly fishing connection. 
that willingness to read someone else, to really pay attention to the cues they're giving you, to not just think about how comfortable am I talking about these things, but to ask yourself and stay attuned to whether or not the people that are around you also seem to be comfortable. Another tip that I give people is not to ask probing questions unless someone's really invited them or opened the door by raising a topic, by volunteering something about themselves. That's another way that you can also give an indication to someone that you're okay with that conversation, that it's okay for them to talk more about it, to reveal a little more or to share something that they might be wondering about whether or not it's too personal. So you want to be giving those signs or cues as well as looking for them. And you can do that by sharing a little bit and doing follow-ups if someone else raises something. I also do. So I've had something going on in my life that's a, a private matter, but I also am a very open person. So I often talk about private matters openly because I do think it helps to um, sort of spread the word and and expose people to experiences that people are having in life. And one of the things I noticed, though, is that there were times when I was willing to talk about it and times I wasn't. And there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason to it. So when I would choose to venture into the topic, I would say, you know, just so that you know, there are some times where I'm open talking about this and others where I'm not. So if you if if it doesn't seem like there's a lot of method to the madness, there isn't. And I just kind of go with what I feel in the moment. But I'm happy to talk about it right now. Or, you know, I realized the other day we were talking about something and I was being very vague. I apologize for that. Or if I felt like I needed to apologize for that. And you can play with your conversation a little bit. As is always the case, there's risk and reward that you you risk a little something to get a little reward. I was doing a seminar where I was talking about not asking about whether or not people have kids and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I have heard that you can use this question as a test, that if you ask it within 30 seconds or a minute of meeting someone, you can very quickly determine the degree to which they want to share with you. You can establish a personal connection by pushing on boundaries that are often understood professional boundaries. It was a, a crafted strategy for actually stepping over the line a little bit mm -hmm. of being indiscreet to try to force a relationship into a closer space a little more quickly. And I found myself saying to this person, if that's a tactic that's effective for you and you're prepared to suffer the consequences for coming across as seeming too forward or potentially even rude or pushy, that's a, a choice that you get to make. But be intelligent about knowing that that's a choice and that there might be consequences as well as rewards for choosing to do that. And that's definitely the balance that's going on here. The risk is great. The risk is really hurting someone as these topics get more and more personal. So you want to be firmly aware of that as you also weigh the potential rewards. I also want to say that having testing tactics for conversations is really not, um, I think, in the best respectful or considerate uh, categories, really, in, when it comes to our behavior with one another. I think the goal really should be to find ways to open up those conversations that are natural and comfortable for people and based on cues that folks are giving you rather than pushing boundaries and trying to make people uncomfortable purposefully. Um, and I, th I think that's that's important to recognize. But I like what Dan is talking about here, where 
he's saying, you know, you can go there, sure, but be prepared to suffer the consequences if it doesn't go well. And, you know, you might rather than opening something up, you might actually really close a door completely. There are two other real concrete tips I want to give for having these discussions well and having them work for you instead of against you. And one is respecting people's privacy. That if you do find yourself in a situation where you've shared more or someone's shared more with you, that you keep that between the two of you. That if you're having a discussion about a tier three topic or even a tier two topic, that you're willing to operate from your own perspective, take responsibility for your own opinions and perspectives, and that you don't speak for someone else or share information that's revealing about someone else. The other real concrete tip I want to give is that if you're testing the waters in these other areas, keep it positive. The difference between staying positive when you're talking about religion, politics, dating, your love life, or family, finance, or health, and building rapport, sharing negative gossip, or perceived slights, or uh, your dissatisfaction or disapproval is oftentimes going to be a, a an easier way to test the waters and you're less likely to give offense. The final thought that I have, and this was something that I realized when when I was dealing with my own private matter that sometimes in work conditions needed to be shared because of scheduling issues was how much do I actually share about what I'm going through and what's private on my end because not everyone may be comfortable hearing it. Not everyone may want to be privy to the whole story. What I would do in this case would be that I would start the conversation by saying, I am going through something in XYZ category. I'm happy to elaborate on it if you would like me to. I'm also happy not to if you don't want to enter that conversation or that arena with me. I understand that people have different comfort levels. Basically, here's how it's going to affect our scheduling for the next month. And that really helped people know that I was okay talking about it, but it also allowed me to respect the fact that they might not be okay hearing about it. This is such a big topic. There's so much to say. In fact, it might even be a good conversation starter at some point. (laughs) Very nice, cuz. Very nice. Be considerate of your employer. Could cover a whole multitude of things. One of the most important things, of course, was doing office work during office hours. I learned, too, the importance of consideration for fellow workers. Thoughtlessness often makes for extra work in the office. (laughs) And hard feelings. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we hear from Michael. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your work in making this world a kinder place. I would like to give my employer an etiquette shout out. I'm not sure if you would read the company name on air, and I would totally understand if you prefer not to. From considering effects of cleaning products on our bodies to staff events and retreats, Green Cleaning Seattle has been the one employer I've had that walks the talk when it comes to being considerate, respectful, and honest to clients and employees. My supervisor calls us to the principal's office just to tell us we're doing a great job. If a client calls in with positive feedback, the office staff calls us in the middle of our day to tell us. 
the only employer I've had that gives positive feedback. Strengths are applauded and weaknesses are acknowledged and helped. My supervisor always listens to concerns and they follow up promptly on pretty much every matter. GCS also hosts really fun staff events and wellness sessions since we rarely get to mingle with our coworkers. House cleaning is really tough work and not the slightest bit glamorous, but since we as employees are treated with consideration, respect, and honesty, we then reflect that in our work, which then ripples to when a person comes home to a clean home and out from there. Many thanks, Michael. That sounds like an awesome cleaning company to work for. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I wish I could get them. <laughs> I know, right? If only. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael, for submitting this salute. We are so happy that you are so happily employed. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. Remember that there is no show without you, so please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and keep sending us your comments, questions, and salutes. You can send us your next question, comment, feedback, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst and... I am at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We keep getting up on more and more of them. And if you love the show, please consider leaving us a review wherever you find it. It helps with our show rankings, which really helps new people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.